good afternoon everyone uh greetings to you and uh, uh greetings in fact from kerala i never imagined that uh, these are words that i would speak uh, but uh, yeah uh you know we've been here for a while uh, no complaints the lord has been keeping us uh, safe and sound but uh, uh do pray that uh, electricity and wifi would uh, would stay stable during this time as i speak uh in case you hear some cows mooing or or goats bleating or birds chirping uh yeah do not mind uh, i'm obviously not in the library uh also um in case uh you know my video or my voice drops off uh, please do stay patient i will try to log in uh you know to my mobile or, or find some other way uh so we've been uh, thank you sujeet for uh, reading from the passage we've been um Uh, you know in this series a uh, very uh, exciting one i know for all of us and there are many things that we've been uh, learning from the word uh, uh, this is where we are uh, right now kevin if you could just move a slide in fact i told kevin that i will not be giving him any cues he has to listen in carefully and <laughs> move the slides at the right time but yeah kevin uh, if you can just yeah uh, so we've been in the whole council of god and if you just move a slide ahead we'll see where we are right now um we've uh, gone through the foundational books we've uh, uh, we are in the historical section and uh, we uh, saw some things from the life of david over the last uh, two uh, sundays and today we entered second samuel in parallel uh, you would have noticed uh, even in last sunday's message that uh, while we are looking at the life of david we are also looking at the poetic books and uh, last sunday Uh, Kishore brought to us the uh, uh, wonderful truths from uh, Psalm 23 uh, from the life of David and the experiences that he had and what we can learn from our own lives uh, from that and today we'll be looking at second Samuel but just a quick recap of some of the things that we saw yeah so in Psalm 23 um, uh, you know we uh, we learned about among many things about God's provision about God's protection uh, his care and also his presence with us uh, through everything that we go through the ups and downs of life and not just that but his promise uh, for us to be with him in his presence for eternity i shall dwell in the house of the lord forever writing one very very important question that uh, you know we were asked towards the end uh, was that uh, all of these promises god's promises that we see in psalm 23 are only valid for god's children and that's why uh, in the beginning itself the first words of david are the lord is my shepherd and so very important question for each of us on this call today is are you his sheep can you and i truly in the deepest of our hearts when we are alone can we say that yes i am his and he is mine the lord is my shepherd but we now move on to second uh, samuel right and second uh, samuel the book of second samuel it begins with the story of uh, of david hearing about king saul's death and uh, david is quickly publicly anointed as king but only the king over the southern tribe of judah and for the next seven and a half years there is uh, there are wars between the house of david and the house of saul specifically with abner who was saul's uh, commander finally all of the israelites decide that david should be their king and they anoint him 
as king over all of Israel. David is just 30 years old at this time and he reigns for 37 years over all of Israel. He conquers almost all of the promised land and he reduces the nations around him to uh, vassal states so that they have to pay tribute uh, to him and, and to Israel. And it certainly is Israel's golden era, at least politically, um, you know, it is uh, a golden era for uh, Israel. And uh, in timeline, this is about 1000 years uh, before uh, Jesus, uh, before Christ. And we see uh, David, you know, through all of these narratives as a man after God's own heart. Again, something that, you know, we were uh, uh, pointed towards uh, in uh, yes, uh, last Sunday's sermon. He's seen as God's, God's anointed chosen king and also uh, the one to whom the Lord proclaims the covenant that from uh, him, after he dies, God will raise up one of his physical descendants who will reign on his throne forever and will reign over an eternal kingdom. We read that prophecy in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 13. Uh, the fulfillment to that prophecy, of course, is the Lord Jesus Christ. David is one of the most fascinating and inspiring characters in the Bible. This, this humble shepherd boy who wrote beautiful poetry, won over Goliath, became a king, uh, and he rules so differently from how Saul before him ruled or, or the kings after him ruled. In fact, uh, David's stories, um, uh, you know, and, and, and when we read through that and we hear about it, it makes us want to be like him. But the Bible also records his spiritual failings. And one such major event is recorded in 2 Samuel chapters 11 and 12. These chapters record David's uh, sinful relationship with Bathsheba and everything that happens as a result of that. Uh, the story of David and Bathsheba, it's, it's one of the most difficult stories that we read. And, and we perhaps even wonder why God recorded uh, this in the Bible. You know, why just bring it out all uh, for everyone to uh, hear about. Uh, the story begins with King David looking out of his palace and he sees Bathsheba taking a bath on the top of her house. He knows that she is married to Raya, a Hittite uh, a foreigner who is one of his soldiers. Regardless, uh, he calls for her, brings her into the palace, uh, gets her pregnant. Then he tries to cover up the pregnancy by uh, calling Uriah back from the battlefield and trying to you know, do something to show that this is not his baby, but it's Uriah's. But he fails at that deception. Uh, clearly, you know, it was something that, uh, that the Lord does, did not allow to be covered. Um, but he compounds his sin even further by orchestrating the evil murder of Uriah during war. And I mean, it's not just him. He pulls in uh, other people into that evil scheme. And he commits all of this and he conceals it for about a year. You know, when we read that narrative, sometimes you might miss that. But, but uh, David ends up concealing this sin and covering it up and, and not confessing about it for a year. Uh, by the time we get through to the end of chapter 11, we are wondering, how can this be the man about whom it is said that he is a man after God's own heart? You know, our proclamation earlier turns into a Question mark now, how can this be a man after God's own heart? The answer to that question can be seen in how David responds to his sin. And that is what we'll focus on today. As we look at 2 Samuel chapter 12 and see how David responds to his sin, we understand what it means to be a person after God's own heart. 
In 2 Samuel 12, uh, Prophet Nathan confronts David with his sin uh, in a very powerful way. He uses the story to get David to a point of self-conviction, you know, to a point where David literally pronounces death penalty on himself uh, for a much lesser offense. In fact, you know, the, the story that Nathan uh, narrates is, is a much lesser offense. But even for that, David's uh, you know, justice and his sense of righteousness and his understanding of, of God's standards, you know, he, he pronounces death penalty, but he doesn't realize he's pronouncing it on himself. Um, Nathan uh, then says in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 7 to 12, you know, we, we didn't have time to read uh, both the passages, but it's, uh, I would encourage you to uh, maybe take some time to read uh, through chapters uh, 12 and 13 later. Uh, right now, let's just uh, look at 2 Samuel chapter 12 and from verse 7 onwards. <laughs> then Nathan said to David, you are the man. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I anointed you king over Israel and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms. I gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if all this had been too little, I would have given you even more. Why did you despise the word of the Lord? By doing what is evil in his eyes. You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword will never depart from your house because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. This is what the Lord says. Out of your own household, I am going to bring calamity upon you. Before your very eyes, I will take your wives and give them to, to one who is close to you. And you will lie with your wives in broad daylight. You did it in secret, but I will do this thing in broad daylight before the Lord. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. You know, it's uh, I mean, chilling words, chilling words uh, coming from Nathan, uh, the prophet. Uh, and, you know, the Lord gave him that boldness to speak like that uh, to David. But we do see also David's heart, you know, uh, David's uh, openness as soon as he's confronted with his sin. He breaks down. He confesses his sin. He says, I have sinned against the Lord, you know, not against you, Nathan, not, yes, you know, uh, there's a lot that I need to apologize for, but I have sinned against the Lord. And we see David's prayer of confession, you know, here it is in second Samuel chapter 12, it's just one line, but we uh, see David's prayer of confession and his cry for forgiveness in Psalm 51. Psalm 51's title, uh, you know, this is how it begins. If you read um, uh, the superscript, right, what's written before the uh, poetry actually begins. For the director of music, a psalm of David, when the prophet Nathan came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. So, so when David is confronted with his sin, this is what he prays before the Lord. And that's, that's Psalm 51. And that's the reason why we are... Uh, now going to that passage and, you know, we'll be looking at that. Psalm 51 is David's confession of sin and cry to God for forgiveness because of what he has done with both Bathsheba and her husband Uriah. It's, it's one of the most moving expressions of sorrow anywhere in the Bible. One of the deepest expressions of repentance 
and one of the most powerful expressions of faith in God's willingness and in God's ability to totally cleanse the sinner from sin. It is uh, definitely a powerful psalm. It has got uh, three sections. Uh, the, the first five verses are David's uh, admission of guilt, his confession, his, his plea for forgiveness. So it's the first five verses that we look at are David's prayer for forgiveness. And then uh, David prays for restoration. David knows what all he has lost as a result of his sin. What was the cost of that? And he asks the Lord, uh, he requests the Lord to restore those things to him. And then David prays for blessing. Uh, he speaks about what he'll do once he's forgiven and once he's restored. Uh, shall we all together just read uh, from verse 1 to 5 now? Uh, you know, we miss reading together. Uh, I was just thinking, how would it be if, uh, you know, we unmute ourselves and read the first five verses together? But you have to remember to mute yourselves after that. Otherwise, it'll be like one of those uh, viral videos, uh, you know, where the bishop is trying to quieten everybody and <laughs> trying to get something to be said. Okay, let's read uh, Psalm 51 verse 1 through 5 together. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before against you. You only have I sinned, and done what is evil to side. So that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Thank you. You can uh, mute yourself now. Um, so let's see uh, what we can learn together about what true confession looks like. It starts in the first two verses with David's cry for forgiveness. We can feel the pain and the sorrow as he cries out. Have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. It's a plea for mercy before the only true judge. See, true confession is complete. You know, that's the first thing that we, uh, that we see in these verses. There is, there is no excuse. Um, he does not point the finger at anyone else. We do not get a hint from these verses that David is saying, you know, uh, that lady should not have been there taking bath out, uh, you know, where everybody could see. There is no sense of David saying her husband is a Hittite, he's a foreigner, uh, you know, it doesn't really matter. Or that uh, isn't a king entitled to more relaxed rules than others. Uh, or, you know, I've had a tough childhood, uh, you know, it makes me do these things or, or, you know, I had an exhausting, stressful week of dealing with war and everything else that is going on in the nation. There is no sense of I'm a victim. There is, there is no sense of that it's not completely my fault or that, you know, life is not fair or that it's, it's only the first time or, you know, um, you know, earlier I've done it much, much often, you know, this month, uh, okay, it was just once. No, there is no sharing of blame. There is, there is no dilution. There is none of this, but it's just a cry. Have mercy on me. You know, true confession says that I was completely and totally wrong. It was me. You know, I'm the one who needs mercy. All I plead for is mercy. There are no excuses, you know, period. That is true confession. It's complete and total admission of sin. And that is the kind of confession that moves God's heart. 
that is the kind of confession that holds nothing back and says that i am completely and totally wrong uh, confession is not for the other person you know it's not a point uh, it's not a time to point and say that they are wrong too um we cannot do anything about others that is god's job all that you or i can do is when the lord convicts us of our sin is to come before him and to cry out to admit what god knows already to be true and what he has revealed to me and to admit that we are wrong and to cry out for mercy uh the second thing that we see is who david is pleading to david cries have mercy on me o god we plead for mercy only before someone who is in a position to judge us or to punish us for our wrongdoing we've all done that you know we've uh, we've asked for mercy before parents before teachers maybe before cops but true confession goes much beyond asking for mercy to escape from human punishment just think about this who could have brought david to judgment or given him any punishment no one he was the highest authority in that land you know it's no surprise that his commander joab doesn't even question him once when david asked joab to get uriah killed in the battlefield you know but david recognizes that even though from a human standpoint he is the highest authority but god is the final judge above him and that god will deal with sin you know david knows that there is a consequence and therefore uh, he is pleading before god so uh, david uh, confesses before god and that's the second thing that we see that true confession recognizes that our sin is first before god that it hurts god that it goes against him and and it goes against what he wants from us we'll also look at verse 4 uh, now which says against you you only have i sinned and done what is evil in your sight bless david mr Bathsheba and and Uriah pretty badly, and he was a bad testimony before his kingdom, before before everybody else. I mean, in one year, everybody would have come to know. Uh, but David knows that ultimately, all sin goes to the heart of God. So that uh, he says, in fact, you know, uh, so that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. The second part of verse four. In other words. David is telling God that God, you are right in pronouncing judgment on this sin. Right? Uh, true confession recognizes that our sin is before uh, God first, and uh, uh, and then we go on to see uh, in verse five. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. True confession admits that we don't deserve forgiveness. the third thing that you know we can see about confession in these verses is that you and i don't deserve to be forgiven again you know when we read uh, these five verses there is no sense of david bargaining with god there is no sense of, of him saying uh, but look at all that i've done for you you know i killed goliath i fought the philistines you know i i conquered uh, the land for your people uh, i didn't kill saul when i could Uh, in fact i was so good to his descendant mephibosheth i am not that bad all of doubt that you know uh, all of what i have done for you has to count for something no we don't see anything like that we don't see any uh, sense of i deserve to be forgiven 
instead of arguing his case to God, David appeals to God's basic character that God is a God of unfailing love and that he is a God of great compassion in the first verse. According to your unfailing love, it's not according to the rest of the good things that I have done or, or you know, that this is what I've done is not bad enough. So therefore, Lord, have mercy on me. No. He's saying it's according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. You remember back in Exodus 34, when God puts Moses in the cleft of the rock and, and God's glory passes by and God declares who he was. When we read uh, Exodus 34, starting at verse 6, uh, God speaks about, describes himself, uh, Yahweh, as a merciful and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. That is who God is. You know, and and he says, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. And, you know, it's interesting that those are the same three words that David uses in Psalm 51, iniquity, transgression, sin. We'll see that later. David knows that he does not deserve to be forgiven. He has done nothing to earn forgiveness, but rather he is appealing to God's covenantal love and God's covenantal uh, unfailing compassion. You know, his mercy on the, uh, on the undeserving. And he's calling on to God to forgive him. True confession holds nothing back. It is complete. True confession admits that my sin is against God first and that it's gone against the heart of God. And it admits that we don't deserve to be forgiven. Then we see David goes on to plead before God uh, again in verse 1. The last, last part, blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. You know, we, we see the fourth thing that we see about true confession, that it agrees with God about sin. It's not just telling God this is what I've done because God already knows, but it's agreeing with God's view about our sin. You know, it agrees with God that sin is horrible. It agrees that sin is absolutely wretched and horrific. It doesn't make our sin light. You know? uh, David does not argue with Nathan when he comes. Nathan comes, confronts him with his sin. And David uh, does not you know, make light of it, uh, does not say oh, it's not a big deal. Uh, we, we, we don't see David painting his sin in any shades of gray. David views sin for what sin is. He sees it in black and white, that sin is horrible. And uh, in fact, in verse 3, he says that my transgression, uh, I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. He is fully aware about his sin and it makes him restless, you know, because it is always before him. Look at the words that David uses to describe his sin in verse 1 and 2. He calls it transgression. You know, which is uh, going, rebelling against God. He calls it iniquity, uh, which is, uh, you know, being in a state of, uh, of sinfulness. And he calls it sin, which is, uh, you know, from birth itself. The piling up of these words is meant to emphasize the gravity of David's horrible sin. And then paralleling those, these, uh, those three words for sin are three beautiful word pictures for how God will forgive his sin, David's sin. Again, the piling up uh, of these three word pictures, it emphasizes the totality of God's merciful forgiveness. So David says, firstly, blot out my transgressions in verse one. And the word blot is not just about removing them from God's book of records or just erasing them. 
the word blot instead takes us to colossians chapter 2 and verse 14 um and in the king james version these are the words used blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us which was contrary to us and took it out of the way nailing it to his cross you know the word picture of our transgressions uh that we see there uh is is you know uh of something being written on a piece of parchment our transgressions being written on a piece of parchment and being nailed to the cross and and from the cross flowing onto that parchment uh are is blood which stains the blood blots uh that piece of uh, parchment which has our transgressions written you know and uh, and and we see that picture of the lord jesus christ blotting out what was written word uh, that he uses is wash me wash me thoroughly from my iniquity sin is a stain that needs to be washed by god out of our uh, out of our lives um we see again uh, you know parallel word picture uh, when jesus is speaking with peter uh, when when jesus is uh, washing disciples feet and peter asks him to wash his in uh, you know entire self and jesus says that uh, you know you are already clean you are already washed so so there is this one time cleaning washing of the entire self and then there is this regular washing uh, of our feet you know that's the word picture that we see here of washing um and then the third word he uses is cleanse me from my sin you know that's priestly language uh if in the old testament uh, if you were unclean perhaps a leper you would be excluded from fellowship um uh, you would be uh, removed from the community um uh, and if later you were healed uh you would go to the priest to be examined and receives you and sees that you are clean then he would take some hyssop uh, which is a, a small bush and and he will dip it in water and sprinkle it uh, on you to declare that you are now clean in fact in in verse 7 uh, david uses a similar picture he says cleanse me with hyssop and i will be clean wash me and i will be whiter than snow right uh, it also takes us back to uh, the passover where uh, juice would take this shrub hyssop and uh, dip it in blood uh, the blood that they would have used to sacrifice the lamb and then put it on the door post at passover the blood of jesus christ his son cleanses us from all sin 1 john chapter 1 and verse 7 david is saying uh, o lord blot out my transgressions wash me from my iniquity cleanse me from my sin you know, these are all ways that david uses to indicate that not only is his sin absolutely horrific but god is still capable and is willing to forgive even the worst of sin and to and to cleanse it completely you know it's uh, one of the one of the dangers that we need to be uh, wary of is that it's human tendency to look at a passage like this and think uh does this apply to me you know i i haven't i haven't done anything so grave but is that true is that really any person among us who has never lusted and we remember jesus words that if you look at another human with lustful intent you have committed adultery with them in your heart uh can we say that we have not done what david did uh has anyone in this room ever committed murder we might we might say no but then the lord said whoever hates his brother is liable to the same judgment 
That's what we see Jesus say in Matthew chapter 5. And if God saw or if we see sin as God sees it, then uh, I think we would look at, uh, you know, we would look at this passage and we will feel ourselves, we'll find ourselves in David's shoes a lot more than otherwise. And, uh, and we would perhaps on more than one occasion, pull out our Bibles and go to Psalm 51 and, and you know, we would confess before the Lord and tell the Lord that, yes, Lord, I am the man, uh, I am the woman, you know, the Psalm applies to me, O oh Lord. True confession, we saw from this passage, it, uh, uh, it agrees with God that sin is horrible. It does not uh, play comparing games. It does not paint sin in shades of gray. It sees it uh, clearly. It, it agrees with, with God's view of our sin. So in verse uh, 1 through 5, we saw David's prayer for forgiveness. It's where he admits his guilt. He confesses and he uh, pleads to God for forgiveness. Now in verse 6 through 12, we see David's prayer for restoration. I'll just read that for you. <clears throat> Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. You know, we see David's prayer for restoration. And the first thing that we see is David wants to be changed from the inside. You know, he says in verse uh, 5, Surely, uh, in verse 6, sorry, surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. You know, David knows that God is most interested with our inward being. He wants us to have truth in our inward being. He wants us to have wisdom in our secret heart. In other words, God is first and foremost concerned with what's inside and who we are. And only secondly, with what we do. God is concerned with what is inside. And instead of truth being inside of David, David is consumed with sin and, and that sinful desire inside of him. And, and that's why in verse 10, he says, create in me a clean heart, a pure heart of God and renew the right spirit, a steadfast spirit within me. He realizes that sin has, has, has weakened his spirit, has made him unclean. Uh, you know, notice that David does not want only to be forgiven. It's so important for us to see this. He does not just want to be forgiven, but he wants to be different. He wants to be changed. He wants God to change him. And how? He wants God to change him by making his heart clean and by God making his spirit willing uh, to be submissive and to obey and to be steadfast and not wavering. You know, we see uh, no legalism in Psalm 51. There is no sense of uh, okay, Lord, so I have sinned and, you know, here's the list of things that you've asked us to do, you know, and, and here are my sacrifices. Uh, in fact, we see him do just the opposite. He speaks about that, right? Uh, he says in verse 16, you do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. Uh, David knows that, uh, you know, the Lord would not accept all of his offerings, 
his heart is not right so so david is restating in this passage his understanding that god is not looking for external penance which in those times were sacrifices and burnt offerings what is it that god is really looking for instead that's what david says in verse 17 the sacrifices of god are a broken spirit a broken and contrite heart for god you will not despise david recognizes that his sin cannot be compensated with any external deeds you know in today's context uh it could be about the money we put in the church offering or the spiritual activities we get involved in or good works uh like helping the needy uh, david knows that it's it's not a balancing act you know it's not a ledger of righteous acts versus sinful acts what the lord is seeking from us when we sin is to acknowledge that in our innermost core you know we need to acknowledge that and for that sin to literally break our heart when we recognize the evil inside of us and and to run to him for forgiveness with a true repentant attitude and what a comforting promise that every time that we are confronted with our sin if we come to the lord with a true repentant attitude then he says oh god you will not despise the last part of verse 17 you know may the lord help us to not respond to sin with a defiant spirit but to respond to god with a broken and contrite heart when you and i are confronted with our sin let's not argue that our sin is not that bad or that things are now better than before you know uh, or that it was someone else's fault rather in response to facing our sin head on our heart needs to be broken and our heart needs to be contrite and desirous of change what david is crying out to god is oh lord change me from the inside change what drives me my heart uh you know the word says that it's the wellspring of life lord change my emotions my motivations make my heart clean make my human spirit willing and steadfast so that it does not stray because oh lord i want to obey you i want to do what is right i want my faith to flow in joyful obedience david is not content with just saying i'm sorry uh he understands that real forgiveness means that we are changed and that change starts in the inside and then flows from our heart and our spirit into what we do on the outside the second thing that we see there uh in david's prayer for restoration uh you will read from verse 8 onwards <clears throat> let me hear joy and gladness let the bones you have crushed rejoice let your face from my sins Uh, hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity then in verse 11 do not cast me from your presence or take your holy spirit from me restore to me the joy of your salvation david wants and that's the second thing that we see david wants his fellowship with the lord to be restored david understands that sin leaves us with a deep sense of uh, uncleanness of being soiled you know it robs us with our of our joy and gladness and it leaves us feeling empty and lonely you know with god seeming distant but with forgiveness comes restoration of fellowship with god uh david knows that god's spirit left saul and he does not want that to happen to him uh it's important for us to know that today uh, for a child of god when when a child of god sins and we do order Jesus told us that the spirit of god would abide with them 
I think it's important for us to look at that passage, John chapter 14, verse 15 through 17. John 14, verse 15 through 17. If you love me, you will obey what I command. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. The Spirit of Truth to be with you forever. When the Holy Spirit comes into your and my life at conversion, he seals our salvation. He is the witness that you are a child of God and assures you and me that we belong to Christ. But while our sin does not break our sonship, it does break our fellowship with God. It prevents us from enjoying the presence of God. And this goes back to what God wants the most from us. If you remember uh, the message that uh, that Lichu had taken, you know, his presence to dwell with us. That's what God wants the most from us. Everything in our Christian life depends on God's presence. The Lord Jesus said in John 15, 5, that without me, you can do nothing at all. And a man after God's own heart will not just seek forgiveness and pardon, but will have a longing to once again enjoy the presence of God, just like before. You know, the, the, the presence and fellowship that, that sin mars, you know, to have that, and, and, to, and, and when we truly confess and come to Lord with a broken and contrite heart, he restores that joy. The joy of the Lord which sins, sin robs us of, it gets, it gets restored. David did not lose his salvation when he sinned, but he did lose the joy of his salvation. And that's what we experience too when we sin. Till the time that we confess our sins and, and God changes us from inside, uh, strengthens our weakened spirit and and restores our fellowship with him and restores true joy and gladness, not just outside, but deep inside of us. Right? Um, so in this uh, second section, we see, uh, we saw David's uh, prayer for restoration. And then we see David's prayer for God's blessing. You know, this is where from verse 13 through verse 18, David is speaking of what he will do once he is forgiven and once he is uh, restored. Uh, let me just read that for you from verse 13 onwards. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will turn back to you. Save me from blood guilt, O God, the God who saves me and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit a broken and contrite heart of God, you will not despise. In your good pleasure, make Zion prosper. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then there will be righteous sacrifices, whole burnt offerings to delight you. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. Uh, David asked for blessing in three areas. You know, the first is David wants God to bless his witness. You know, David knows that that's one area uh, that's been marred because of his sin. And David is asking, you know, Lord, uh, forgive me, restore me, and, and help me to once again witness uh, about you to others. You know, David is making a promise that, God, if you will give me the opportunity, if you will forgive me, then I will praise you to the people. Right? And, and that's so important for us to understand that. Uh, and we would, have, we would have realized and felt that in our own lives that, when we sin and when it is unconfessed sin in our lives, that, that it hampers our witness towards others. The second thing uh, David is asking for is for God to bless his work 
in verse 18 uh, in your good pleasure make zion prosper build up the walls of jerusalem again an area that we would have realized that uh, uh, you know and, and as the word says that uh, he who harbors sin in his heart will not prosper we read that in proverbs so um, god cannot bless the work of our hands if we harbor uh, unconfessed sin in our hearts. And David is asking here, Lord, bless my work. Uh, thirdly, David wants God to bless his worship. Uh, in verse 19, uh, and although, you know, in earlier in verse 16, David had said that you do not delight in sacrifice or in burnt offerings. Here, uh, David is saying that once you, uh, once you forgive me and restore me, O Lord, then there will be righteous sacrifices, you know, which, which will be acceptable to you. There will be whole burnt offerings which will delight you. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. So David is seeking God's blessing on his witness, on his work and on his worship. But he knows that can only come after he is completely forgiven and completely restored. You know, back in Samuel uh, chapter 12 and verse 13, we see uh, prophet Nathan proclaiming that David was forgiven by the Lord. Uh, Nathan says in verse 13 of chapter 4, after David confesses, Nathan replied, the Lord has taken away your sin. You are not going to die. No, but forgiveness never seems to take away the consequences of the sin. No, the Lord does uh, save David's life. Uh, David had pronounced death on himself, but the Lord does not let that happen. But there is a high cost of sin. And David was a man after God's own heart, and he was greatly used by the Lord. But David was not exempt from the consequences of his sin. Uh, in fact, to Prophet Nathan, God told David that because of his sin, the soul shall never depart from his house. Let's just Verse 10 of chapter 12, second symbol. He says, Now therefore the sword will never depart from your house because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah that he might to be your own. And he goes out to say, We are going to bring calamity upon me. Do the distance in secret, but I will, uh, I mean, there are the consequences uh, that you will bear will be done in your life. And we see that's exactly what happens. Uh, David paid for those sins almost every day of his life. Uh, some of his sons were, the, you know, several of his sons were rebellious, jealous, uh, vengeful, and his uh, family life uh, for the most part was uh, was in shambles. You see that uh, the child that was conceived with Bathsheba died. Uh, we see that uh, David's son Amnon uh, raves his uh, our sister Tamar and, uh, and Absalom who was uh, Tamar's uh, brother kills and one eventually uh, has uh, to take vengeance for uh, what Amnon had done to his sister. And then we see Absalom himself um, becomes a rebel and, uh, and eventually he dies at the hand of Joab. And uh, we see uh, another son of David, Romija, is plotting to pass the throne and he also eventually dies. So we see, and, and all through this, if you can read, uh, couple of chapters ahead of that in second Samuel, you know, from chapter 14 onwards. Uh, we just see uh, and, and the Spirit of God has written all of these things in detail. We see uh, David 
you know, living a life uh, which was which was uh, you know, quite ridden with sorrow and misery. Every sin that I as a Christian commit uh, is forgiven to the Lord Jesus Christ, but no sin is ever right or good, and no sin ever produces anything right or good. Well, the price for doing something is, is very high, and uh, you know, it's so important for us understand that and to realize that. Galatians chapter 6, uh, verse 7 to 9 says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked, for whatever a man sows, that he will also be. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the spirit will of the spirit reap everlasting life. Uh, sometimes there are still consequences to our sin, but the sin itself is completely and totally forgiven. See, if we had earned forgiveness by ourselves, then the degree of our forgiveness would depend on how well we earned it. But we cannot earn forgiveness because we do not bring anything to God in exchange. All that we can do is confess and throw ourselves into His arms and say, God, you are a God of love, you are a God of abundant mercy. I, I realize my service before me. I know that my sin hurts you. And the Lord, I can't stand to be distant from you. What I want most is to enjoy your presence in my life. And Lord, my sin is coming in the way of me enjoying. Uh, the joy of my salvation and you know, to call the Lord that I am thrown myself into your arms to do it's not because I deserve it but uh, because of your love and mercy we choose to forgive what you do. The Bible promises us that if we confess our sins He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all righteousness. This is what God wants when He sends Nathan into our lives to confront us with our sin. Or when you know we are confronted uh, by the Holy Spirit in our conscience, or when we are confronted when we read God's word. This is the kind of response uh, if we want to be united with God's word. It's a powerful, Psalm 51 is a powerful picture of confession, of repentance, of full admission of guilt, of holding nothing back, and of uh, Pleading before the Lord for restoration and for His blessings to once again come upon us. Um, so it's it's so important for us to fully agree with God and God's view about us, our sin. And when we come to the Lord with such a repentant heart and a broken spirit and a contrite heart, uh, the Lord completely forgives us and uh, and He forgives us totally. Um, but we should never forget that sin has a high cost, and therefore forgiveness also came and comes at a high cost. And the Lord bore that cost on Himself. And those are the things that we were reminding ourselves uh, throughout the time of worship. Uh, and, and there are word pictures in Psalm 51, which again point us towards the cross. And it was definitely. Uh, the Lord, the reason the Lord could forgive David's sin, the reason that the Lord could spare his life was because the life of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, in the future would be paid as a penalty for David's sin and also for the sin. That's something that uh, we have to remember every day. Uh, remember that 
I remember the cost of the work is a stable cost. You know, when we remember that, that should make us also stay away from sin. The times of confession, times of confrontation with sin uh, are some of the defining moments for who you and I are individually and also as a body of Christ. You know, when we respond to sin, uh, when, when the Lord points uh, that finger at us through a person or through his word, when, when you know the Lord says that you are that man, it is how you and I respond that shows whether we are being shaped into a man or woman after God's own heart. Uh, have you ever been so deeply aware of your sin that all that you could do is fall on your knees and cry to God uh, and plead for God's mercy? The only thing that you can do at that time is to pull out your Bible and read Psalm 51. It's tears and cries of anguish uh, when we realize our own sin. If, if you've never been at that point, then my prayer, uh, and if you don't know, have any uh, unconfessed sin in your heart, then my prayer is that the Lord would bring you and me uh, to that point of fully confessing and, uh, and enjoying the Lord's forgiveness that comes as a result of And we will be able to see how the Lord is able to make our heart clean and our spirit willing and reinstate and restore the deepest joy and gladness that comes because our full is removed from him. And it's replaced uh, because of what the Lord has done for us on the cross of Calvary. No one of us leave from this calling service uh, still enslaved to unconfessed sin. Uh, that sin will be filling you with a guilty conscience, it will be robbing you of your vision to see things clearly robbing you of your joy and gladness, uh, stopping uh, or closing your lips and closing your mouth. Uh, as David said, it's robbing us of, uh, of the Lord, enjoying the Lord's presence and the Lord's fellowship, uh, robbing us of our witness, uh, robbing us of blessing at work, uh, or of, uh, of enjoying uh, or participating in worship. There is no reason at all to carry that load on our shoulders. May the Lord bring us in before our eyes and may we cry out for God's mercy and experience the joy of receiving complete forgiveness and complete restoration before the Lord, that the Lord would uh, make us holy and uh, that He would purify us and you know, He would show us sin in our lives and that we, that we would confront God and confess it and get restored. And shall we just uh, bow down our heads and close in prayer? Our gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, uh, Lord, uh, we find ourselves in the place of David, O Master. Lord, uh, uh, Lord, when we uh, Lord, get confronted with our sin, O Lord, all that we can plead before you is for your mercy, O Lord. And we, we thank you, Lord, for your promise, O Lord, that, uh, Lord, you will not despise a broken heart and a contrite spirit, O Lord. Lord, we thank you for your promise that you will show us mercy because of your steadfast love and your loving kindness, O Lord. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you, Lord, that uh, Lord, we realize, Lord, that you forgive us, uh, not just erasing or uh, ignoring our sin, but actually blotting it out. And, and sprinkling us, Lord, with the blood of your very son. And we want to thank you for the, 
for the ultimate sacrifice and the huge price that was paid as a consequence of our sins heavenly father lord uh, we also realize oh lord that our sin robs us of your presence and and enjoying fellowship with you it robs us of uh, uh lord of our witness it robs us of joy in our lives it robs us of blessings oh lord and uh, lord uh, uh, our deepest desire is to be clean on the inside oh lord uh, that our heart the seat of our emotions the wellspring of our lives that will be pure and holy oh lord and Lord, daily, Lord, uh, we pray, oh Lord, that you will bring our sin before us, Lord, like like David, and Lord, that may there be no sin that we treat lightly, oh Lord, Lord, may there be no sin that we paint in a shade of grey or make excuses for, but oh Lord, we pray, oh Lord, that every every sin that you show to us every single day of our lives, oh Lord, that we would, uh, Lord, that it would not go away from our eyes, oh Lord, that but that we would. uh confronted lord and that we would confess and find forgiveness and restoration and blessing that comes from you lord uh we pray o lord that uh, your word will continue to work in our lives even through the week as we meditate on it in jesus precious name we pray amen